Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome in to yet another edition of Skull Rock Podcast, where every week we talk all things Disney, pop culture, with never-before-heard stories, behind-the-scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and some characters that you know and love, and much, much more. I'm your co-host, Al John Go, musician, lifelong Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars, and pop culture fanatic. And you can email me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard. I'm an artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Dave? Yes, that is it. That is the theme to Hunger Games. It's the Hunger Games. And, and, and you know something, Al John? I, I, I want to thank you for, for queuing up that theme a little bit because, uh, you know, frankly, we are in the Hunger Games now with right? this vaccine rollout. <laughs> and uh, although we're not a political show uh, and I'm not going to get political, I just want to say how it has turned into the Hunger Games. Uh, you've got celebrities in Los Angeles uh, who often talk about equality and fairness and, um, you know, saving the planet. They're hopping on their private jets and flying to Florida so that they can get the vaccine, you know. And uh, meanwhile, my 90-year-old mother in New York has not been vaccinated yet, mm. you know. And I, I just think that the entire... Uh, rollout of this vaccine and getting people vaccinated has been one big cluster. And uh, and it's yeah. really kind of sad, you know? And, and and by the way, Congress, they've all been vaccinated. All the Congress people and, and, and senators, they've all been vaccinated in Capital City. So they don't care. You know, yeah. uh, they've they've they're protected now, and uh, and so uh, it's really kind of a shame. And I just wanted to say that because it's very frustrating to see this going on, and especially with the elderly people, where the the that is the the one group that has been hit the hardest by this uh, pandemic. Uh, the most deaths are in the seventy-five and up group. And these are people that we're seeing lining up and trying to get vaccines and fumbling with websites that are crashing and all of this stuff. And, and meanwhile, you know, we're seeing celebrities get vaccinated. Uh, it, it's really shocking. Or athletes. You know, well, you know, Charles Barkley, come on. I said this yeah. last week, he pays so much in taxes. He should get his vaccine before anyone else. You yeah. Know? Well, I have to say, I have to say I, I'm with you 100%. I think obviously, you know, every, everybody needs to get their act together and, and get these people vaccinated as soon as possible, ordering more vaccinations, making sure that they, you know, convert, you know, much like they're doing here in Nashville, uh, convert, you know, churches and other places to become centers to become vaccinated. I know my dad 
recently got vaccinated. He's over his seventies, you know, but not every everybody's getting that, um, and they're running out, and people are actually doing, and they're, you know, much like you said, they're circumnavigating the the you know what's going on and going to these other counties, these rural counties. They're running out of vaccines because people yeah. are coming in from the big city to get vaccinated over there because they think that they have a better chance of getting it, and they're not turning anyone away. They're so, gaming the system. They're gaming That's what the they're system. Doing. And, the, and, and again, I have to say, Congress is out of touch with the American people, and they're not doing their job. Mm-hmm. They're just not doing their job, and it's really, it's really shameful. It really is. Well, I tell you what isn't shameful. It's this. WandaVision. I, I love the various themes and I know I'm skipping ahead Dave because you you haven't gotten into the late 60s early 70s theme yet themes go but i have to tell you i did watch the first two episodes and i love the show oh. i absolutely love the show it's so well done and what a great cast yes i mean really just a great cast of people uh i i have to say i i'm uh, i'm loving it i think it's it's wonderful so i can't wait for you to catch up you know we're already here it's it's getting to be very Marvel Studios uh, MCU uh, going on uh, right now. It's it's you're really in the heart of it now. So uh, I'm glad you dig it. And uh, once again, another reason to subscribe to Disney Plus. Now we're not sponsored by Disney Plus, although I wish we were. Get some of that Disney money, but uh, that's it's such a great show. Can't wait. It really is. It really is. I think I I would highly recommend it. Two thumbs up. It was very enjoyable. I also recommend something uh, just on the side regarding Disney Plus is the Pixar popcorn. You know, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about this uh, with our guest today. And, And by the way, Dave, who's our guest on this week's show? We've got the duck in the house. Yes, that's right. The voice of the voice of Donald Duck, Tony Anselmo, the official voice of Donald Duck, is going to be our special guest today. And a classic, classic animator, and studied with you at Cal Arts. Some yeah, actually, Tony and I were up at Cal. He was he was a year ahead of me um, uh, at Cal Arts, but we were up there at the same time, and we worked at the studio uh, uh, for many years together. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to be a great interview when we get to that. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. But you know, we touched on this a little bit um, in the interview, but the Pixar popcorn that has recently been uh, put out there on Disney Plus is basically all animation. You know, hardly any voices, but Mm -hmm. once again, it's all about the visual gags and what animation does so well, which brings you those visual gags. And I think that if you, if our listeners haven't checked it out, if you haven't checked it out, I strongly suggest it. Uh, The one with the, um, the Incredibles fighting over the last cookie in the cookie jar was absolutely amazing. And uh, uh, I have to say, you know, I I really am a big fan of the Incredibles and really like that, uh, what they're doing there. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some Disney news, shall we? Absolutely. All right. Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. Watch your kids. Just watch them. You know, you never know what they're going to be, you know, calling up on Disney+. Plus. I mean, it could be some of the most controversial animation of all time, Dave. 
like oh, Peter Pan or the Aristocats. It's, it's just awful, isn't it? Tom? I mean, it's just, I mean, what are they going to think of next? I mean, you know, it's so just, uh, it's so outrageous, you know, uh, that, you that know, animation. I, I, like this. I think they should just put a warning label on to like, as soon as you get into the Disney app, there should just be a warning label. Do this on all of the apps, you know, that are out there. As soon as you get in, there's a warning label that says that there's potential content that has, you know, any number of things that may be objectionable to somebody. Right. Well, this is true. Um, as of a couple days ago, children can no longer see movies like Peter Pan or the Aristocats without a parent, uh, as it adds Disney Plus, adding uh, parental restrictions for those that have uh, a questionable content, whether it's smoking or language or perhaps uh, stereotypical depictions. Right. And so mm-hmm. they have there, uh, you'll see a unskippable 12 second message before starting these films, which quote says this program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. And rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact and learn from it and spark conversation to receive, to create a more inclusive future together. And, uh, so they're doing this and Disney has, has been putting uh, this message out there and they say that quote, we can't change the past. The company said at the time, but we can acknowledge it, learn from it and move forward together to create a tomorrow that only we can dream of. So in them doing this, in them doing this, Dave, um, not only are they doing that, but they've also decided to give jungle cruise a makeover. Jungle Cruise. Okay. They're giving Jungle okay. Cruise a makeover. Now, it started several years back with the uh, re- re- taking out Red, the, you know, the, the, in the Pirates of the Caribbean. She was the woman that was being auctioned off by these, sure. uh, by the pirates because pirates the, are the, bad. Uh, the people. whole auction scene was changed. The auction scene was changed. And then they're now, they last year, uh, they are going to be giving a makeover to Splash Mountain as well because of the characters from Song of the South, which uh, uh, has not been available for streaming or downloading or DVD purchase for decades. Yeah. But, but now that they're putting out this uh, uh, this warning label, um, can't they put the warning label at the head of uh, Song of the South? I would and think. play that? I would think so. I would think so. so or, or is there a double standard? I, I don't know. I mean, for me, I think, yes, it's important that parents, you know, provide the context because, you know, people, well, well kids are not going to be able to access the content anyway, unless they're, unless they are keyed into the, the adult code. Right. But yeah, but you know, what's going to wind up happening is that uh, uh, the kid's going to say, I want to watch this parents going to come over and, you know, do what they need to do to have it start playing and then they're going to walk away and the mm-hmm. kids are going to watch it. That's yep. what's going to happen. Yeah, and, and, you know, I've always had a problem with the, uh, you know, they, they, they slapped a warning on the beginning of Pinocchio many years ago on, on one of the DVD or Blu-ray releases uh, about the smoking, you know, uh, the cigar smoking mm-hmm. on Pleasure Island with, uh, and I always thought to myself that cigar smoking sequence is the best um, deterrent. Uh, <laughs> it's the best deterrent yeah. uh, from wanting to smoke because, you know, Pinocchio gets so sick. Gets it turns sick. green. That's right. 
That's right. You know, and unless you want to become a, you know, an Alice in Wonderland character, I'd void who cause as well, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. And look at Dumbo. Dumbo had a hangover from all that champagne. You know what I mean? Yes. yes so, I absolutely. mean, look, I mean, the, the, I mean, it, I don't know. It's just a sign of our times. So for me as now a what, parent, why is there a warning on lady in the tramp? Is it the depiction of Italian Americans running in a restaurant? Or? I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. don't know. I mean, it's, 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 there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of stereotypes in there. And I think once again, it's a product of the times you look at, you know, the, you know, the opening scenes of Dumbo where Casey Jr. is going down the track, who built the train mm-hmm. tracks, who's putting together the, the circus, mm-hmm. you know, all that right. stuff. I mean, there's all kinds of stereotypical depictions yeah, I, there. You but- know something, it, it, it's rather interesting uh, to me because animation really is about caricature, yes. you know, and caricature is, you know, uh, uh, picking up on, on those stereotypes uh, to create the caricatures. Yes. I, I mean, you know, but yeah. hey, listen, at least they're not going in and editing these films. That 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 is the good thing about it. Well, yes, uh, you would hope. I mean, you know, you see magically uh, E.T. and E.T. and Steven Spielberg's classic, you know, the cops uh, had their uh, guns airbrushed out and all of a sudden they're holding walkie talkies. So, you know, we're only just a few frames away from that possibly happening. You just uh, never know. I hope not. I hope not. It just you know, this, it, it feels like the cancel culture is getting out of hand. Yeah. Well, once again, I think it's important that people learn from these things and yeah. that we add context and there's nothing wrong with a little discussion about those kind of things pre or post the film as just a introduction. You know, you say, you say, let's have a conversation, but I think in order to have a conversation, one must actually know the subject matter, be introduced to it in a thoughtful way and have a thoughtful discussion. And Disney can do that if they wanted to. Uh, And they, and they very well may. Now, another thing that uh, they've done, Dave, you know, Disneyland renames the previous pass holder program you know, they've got this welcome Disneyland Resort legacy pass holders. Thank you for having been a Disneyland Resort annual pass holder. And as of March 14th, uh, the date to our park's closure, get ready to be delighted with magical ex- extras that celebrate you. Um, they're renaming the pass holders to like a, a legacy pass holder. Um, I don't know what this has in, in store. I mean, do you think they're going to have an annual pass holder program for both parks again, you think? I don't know, honestly. I I will tell you that, you know, there were people that bought the top tier pass holder, you know, pass. And, uh, you know, I remember one couple, they went to the park uh, every single day for like, 400 days in a row or something Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, I think they lose money on that. Uh, 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 You know, those people coming uh, into the park. And so maybe, maybe they looked at the annual pass uh, program and decided that, you know, just do away with it and let people come whenever they're going to come and pay the, pay the admission price. I don't know. Yeah. It says in the original announcement on the cancellation of the Disneyland pass holder program, it was revealed that those carrying current passes would be able to receive special discounts on merchandise, food and beverages at select locations around downtown Disney and Buena Vista street. And uh, right now I think they have up to 30% discount, which isn't bad, but once again, you know, 
you'll you can also get a um, I guess you can also get uh, reimbursed uh, prorated for the amount that you had spent on an annual pass. It's been a long time since Chris and I had been by coastal holders of their annual pass. We were always wow. uh, we we used to do that because I would go to Anaheim every so often for work. Sure. And it's like well, just come along with me and let's go to Disneyland. And it was a lot of yeah. fun. But we haven't done that in a long time. We we are pass holders for Walt Disney World, but of course with the pandemic we did not renew. But um I'm hoping that uh we would we'll be able to have annual passes back uh, again. I, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see how this evolves, how this story evolves and whether they are actually replacing it or they're going to come up with some, some new uh, sort of annual pass without all the tiers, you know, you it's a pay one price uh, annually and you get to come into the park X number of times and get discounts yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I think they're going to have to just because they want, but when, when this is all said and done and when, when people get back to being safe and getting to the parks, I think that's just the natural thing. People are just going to want to go to the parks and kind of make up for lost time and spend money at the turnstiles, I think. Yeah. And they yeah. got to have well, that money. We'll see. It's it's going to be interesting. Well, I think at this point, um, we should be uh, going to our guest. Don't you think? Absolutely. Let's do it. Dateline Disney. When asked what he does for a living, Tony Anselmo has more than one answer. And he's never considered what he does for a living to be work. Bringing joy to the hearts of millions of children all over the world. It's a rough job, but somebody's got to do it, right? In Who Framed Roger Rabbit, it was Tony Anselmo giving Donald Duck his familiar voice. Donald is an American institution, and I feel, in a way, sort of the keeper of the keys to keep him as he was, you know, to continue the tradition is very important to me. See you later, Donald. Skull Rock Podcast Interview Time Well, Al John, I am excited because the duck is in the house today. We have a very special guest. I'm always thrilled to to talk with him. And I've worked with him quite a bit over the years. Uh, Tony Anselmo is a Disney animator, traditional animator, uh, artist, uh, he went to Cal Arts when I was up at Cal Arts, and he is the official voice of Donald Duck. Don't accept any imitations; only the official voice of Donald Duck. Tony, welcome to the show. Hey, Dave. Good to see you again. Hey, it's good to hear to, you again. <laughs> yeah, it's great to see and hear you. Uh, Hi, Al John. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm I'm thrilled to have you on the show, Tony, because I I really want to talk about how you got into not only animation, traditional animation at Disney, but also uh, how you came to be the official Disney Donald Duck voice actor, and and just for our audience's uh, knowledge here, there's only been two official voices for right. Donald Duck, Clarence Nash, who did it for like 50 years yeah. and you, and, and you sort of picked up the baton from him. He, he passed it to you. 
like royalty. You were you were like the prince to his king. And when <laughs> and when he left, you became the king of Donald Duck. Well, uh, but, but 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 hold on, Tony. Before we get there, how did you get into animation? Just give us that rundown. I know you were at Cal Arts, but you know, I always I always am curious when we have a guest on uh, uh, to ask. You know, like when you were in high school, were you drawing cartoons and and all of that yeah. kind of stuff? Uh, well, thanks for having me on your podcast, Dave. It's um, our I've been listening to some of your other ones; they're they're really fun and enjoyable. And uh, you've got a whole team of people that you know that you can have. So you're going to have a great thing going on here. Um, I started, I, I wanted to work for Disney. I went to see Mary Poppins when I was four years old. It was the first Mary, movie I ever saw. I hadn't seen a movie yet. I was four. I saw Mary Poppins and I went, walked out of there thinking, wow, the magic, the imagination, the, the you know, and I was asking my dad, how did they talk to animated characters? How did they fly? How did they, I was so blown away by that, <clears throat> that I thought that's what I want to do. That's amazing. I want to be, a, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to find out and I'm going to go there. And I channeled all my efforts into that. Uh, all through high school, I would write Frank and Ollie and Eric Larson, uh, Jack Hanna, uh, letters and they, I was amazed, especially thinking back on it, how generous they were to take the time to write back, you know, take, uh, take life drawing and acting and, 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 uh, design and color. And, and I did, I took night classes, uh, while I was in high school at, uh, community centers and colleges and got my portfolio together. And at 17, I, I, uh, my dad did not want me to do that. He wanted me to go into banking. He forbade <laughs> it. And I was not going to be a banker. Um, I can't even add. <clears throat> uh, so I, some friends of mine, a family was going to go down to Disneyland and I asked my parents if I could go with them, but I left out the part where I was going to stop by the studio and show Frank and Ollie my portfolio. So I, I did that and uh, it turned into a bigger thing that I didn't realize. Um, they uh, had me in a room on the third floor with the, the guy's name was Don Duckwall. I don't know if you heard of him. But yeah, I, I remember was... Don Duckwall. He wasn't he a production manager at Disney feature animation at the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, him and Jack Hanna was there. No, Frank and you know, Tony, you mentioned Jack Hanna, and I, I got to let the audience know that when you and I were at Cal Arts, and you, I think you were a year ahead of me at Cal Arts, mm-hmm. and uh, Jack Hanna was the head of the character animation program at Cal Arts. Right. They had coaxed him out of uh, retirement to head up the program. Uh, exactly. And Jack Hanna was the director of the Donald Duck unit under Walt. So all those, right. uh, I mean, he started in story and then became a director and all those Donald Duck cartoons in the fifties were his. And the Chip and Dale cartoons. <clears throat> and uh, later the Disneyland television shows. So, yeah. um, so they, they looked at my portfolio and they said, well, we'd like you to work here, but we want you to go to Cal Arts first. And I said, I'd love to go to Cal Arts, but my dad won't let me. He forbids it. And they said, Well, hmm, step outside in the lobby there for give us a minute. And I thought, Oh, it's over. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way I can do this. And as I was sitting there, 
this very tall, <clears throat> good looking man walked by. It was Ron Miller. He walked into that room and uh, he was in there for 15 minutes and then he walked back out and he looked at me and nodded and gave me a thumbs up and walked out. And I thought, what was that about? And they called me back in and uh, uh, they said, well, we're going to send you to CalArts uh, on the Disney Family Fellowship. So the Disney family generously paid for me to go to CalArts, which I am forever indebted that's awesome. Them. Yeah, it was. I mean, I was blown away. So they gave me a letter and I showed it to my dad and he's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> so um, I went to CalArts, which was a great experience. I mean, you were there. You know how, how lucky we were to have teachers like Ken O'Connor, who was one of the greatest layout guys. Teehee, who, whose imagination and creativity. Bill Moore, I didn't get at the time how amazing it was that we had him for a design teacher. Yeah. I didn't know how great he was. And I, that class was the hardest for me because it kicked in later. It, when I was in the class, I thought, I don't think I'm getting this. But later on, I would do something and go, oh, that's what he was talking about. And then Jack Hanna for animation. Uh, and don't forget about Bob McCray. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bob McRae with his ever-present pipe. He was always <laughs> smoking his pipe. <laughs> and Elmer Plummer, who did yeah. uh, Life Turn. So that was an amazing experience. And then, you know, we would do a film every year. And after the second year, we had the show. And, and when you say show, it's the producer show they do every year at Cal I Arts. forgot what they called it. Yeah, yeah, they called it the producer show. And it was really about uh, putting all the student films in and uh, having the folks from Disney take a look at those. And they usually plucked a few people out and gave them jobs. Yeah, which was amazing. Uh, there's there's really not nothing like that now. I'm not not with that caliber of teacher. And they had a they had a, a reception afterwards and I was standing behind a pillar and Jack was on the other side of the pillar. I don't think he knew that I could hear him. And he was talking to uh, one of the executives from Disney. And he said, I really think you ought to take a good look at this Tony Anselmo because he really cares about this stuff. He's dedicated. And I thought, oh my God, he's like, there were other things that CalArts that Jack, like we would bring him a, our story and he would look at it and, you know, give us ideas and stuff. And, and then the next day, I remember once he came up to me and he said, I was thinking about your story. What if you tried? And I thought, you're thinking about my story? You know, I was always amazed that I thought I got a long way to go. And these are, these are Disney legends. And he's thinking about my story. He was really like a father to me. <clears throat> he was such an amazing uh, mentor to me, especially later, because we'll get into the duck uh, as well. But, you know, Clarence passed away in 85 and Jack lived another nine years. And when I started to do the voice, there were things that I had didn't know were, were an issue or how to do, but I could go to Jack. Sure. And I think I got closer with Jack later mm -hmm. where I would go over to his house once or a week or so and ask him stuff that I didn't know to ask Clarence. And Jack really, I don't think a lot of people know this. I think they just think that Clarence was, uh, was uh, the voice 
100%. But Jack had more to do with it, I think, because Clarence was a really shy, quiet, mild-mannered guy. And Jack was Donald Duck. He was a boxer before animation. Oh, yeah. He was absolutely, he had a boxer's nose, man. <clears throat> yeah. You know? He had been punched a few times. <laughs> he was, he was tough. But, but Tony, I, I want to, I want you I to skip step ahead. back. Yeah. I want, yeah. I want you to step back for a second and talk a little bit about Clarence Nash and how he became the voice of Donald Duck back in the 30s uh, and how he basically did that voice for 50 years. But, at, at some point you met him when, and, and so, so talk a little bit about Clarence Nash and then how you met him. Yeah. It's all kind of mixed up, which is why it's hard to tell this story linear. Um, he was there the first day when we had our, this was another amazing thing. So we were plucked from CalArts. We were put in the Disney school of animation that Don Hahn, who's such an amazing guy put together with Eric Larson. So that when we started at the studio, we weren't put right on production. We were trained another eight months and getting paid for it, still taking classes, more life drawing with Walt Stanchfield and animation with Eric Larson. And Clarence Nash was always there. I don't know why, because they weren't recording, but we became friends. And uh, was Clarence I, an artist, though? No, but he did, uh, he gave studio tours. And so he, worked uh, at the, he worked at the Disney Studios. Yeah. He had an office. Um, what, was the, what was his title? Do you do you recall? <laughs> kind of like ambassador of goodwill, really. I mean, really? He, he really gave tours. Wow. You know? So when dignitaries would come around, he had that the puppet of Donald, and he would show him around the lot. And uh, he was such a great guy, so kind. Um, and I was always the class clown. I was always doing voices, but I never thought about anything than animation. And Donald Duck was a voice that I couldn't do. And one day I said, Can, how do you do that? And he told me, and I couldn't do it. Uh, it's very complicated, but I would practice on my own uh, the sound and one day I kind of kicked in after about six months because you really got to get those muscles tight. It's not, I'll tell you what it isn't. It's not an air pocket in the cheek. Clarence would even say that to throw people off the track. <laughs> even in The Reluctant Dragon, he says, well, I put an air pocket in my cheek and I think how would a duck say it? But that's not how it's done. Um, so he showed me how it is done. And I worked on that for a while. And then one day <clears throat> I passed him in the hall and I said, is this it? The first part is to get that tone. <clears throat> and he looked at me and his eyes got wide and he nodded and he goes, that is it. And I thought, well, great. Now what do I do? <laughs> so he said, he showed me how to talk with that sound. You keep that sound going like bagpipes and you talk with it, but you can't, it's like learning another language, Dave. And I, I would waste two hours trying to explain it to you, but. Well, no, I, you know, Tony, <clears throat> I, I've worked with you and, and you've recorded Donald for right. some, some projects that I uh, was involved with over the years at Disney. So I know, and I also know that it's very hard on your voice. It's very hard on my everything. I've yeah. got five hernias out of the deal and some root canals because I'm clinching so hard and so much pressure to get that out over years, it kind of wears on you and it's getting harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, you, you've been doing the voice for now 30, 30 years. 
37 years. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, Clarence did it for 50. I mean, you you easily got another 20 years in you. You're going to beat his record. You'll God be, willing. You'll be doing the voice for more than 50 years. Yeah, your lips to God's ears. I hope so. And uh, I, I, you know, I want to, the, the, the legacy is what matters to me because, I mean, it was, what an honor for these men to pass that along to me so generously. They weren't getting anything out of it. I do, in hindsight, <clears throat> Clarence didn't tell me what he had in mind <clears throat> for years. I think we were working on it for about three or four years. He would come in my room every once in a while when I was animating. And he'd say, um, if Donald were in this situation, what would he say? Or uh, say this or, or try that. And I thought, poor guy, he must be bored. Do you want to come and hang out with me? But um, <clears throat> I did, and that went on for a while. Uh, it was fun, but I didn't know that he had anything behind it. And uh, I realized in hindsight that he was waiting to find out if I was respectful of what he had created, if I could do it, if I could do it well, and if I would uh, carry it on well carry the torch yeah and the other thing nobody knew he didn't tell anybody that he had leukemia oh wow and uh how old was he at this point 85 Mm, okay um i'm trying to think of what i think he was as old as walt i think it was 1900 1901 Ah, i should know that but i do know that his birthday was uh, Pearl Harbor Day. Yeah, he was born. Uh, he was born December seventh, nineteen oh four. Oh four. So he was younger than Walt by three. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I that was his motive. Is he knew that he wasn't going to be around forever anymore, and and uh, he needed to pass it on. And I'll have to do the same thing at one point, at some point, because it's not about me. It's about that legacy of Walt Disney and, and, um, you know, carrying that on, not changing it, but keeping the quality as it always has been as much as I can. Yeah. When I go to recording sessions, I listen to Clarence on the way over. I'll put it, I have DVDs of old, uh, recording sessions of his so that I don't, if, if you don't do that, you can start to veer off into your own thing. Mm-hmm. So sure. I always put that on to get the pitch right and the tone right. And then. <clears throat> um, so let me ask you this, though, Tony. Yeah. So so you get you, you you go to CalArts, you go through CalArts, you meet all these great people uh, and they're all very generous. I mean, that, that's one thing about our business. I think everybody is re- reasonably generous, yeah. especially the old timers. They knew that they were passing on their knowledge to that next generation of, of artists. So you start working at Disney, you meet with Clarence and he starts to mentor you about the voice. Right. When do you actually find out, like, uh, you know, does Clarence say, I'm officially handing the voice to Tony and Selmo to be Donald Duck? And everybody uh, at the studio cheered, you know, and said, <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's a sad story. It's bittersweet because mm. in his 50th year, he got a lot of attention that was well-deserved. He was on The Tonight Show and he put his hand in the Chinese theater. He was on the Academy Awards. And he was supposed to be the Grand Marshal of the Rose Parade that year. 
Mm-hmm. And I went to the Rose Parade and he wasn't in the car. And uh, the next day, Margie, uh, his wife called me and said, Clarence is in St. Joe's and wants to talk to you across from Disney. So on my lunch break, I walked over and uh, he, that's when he told me, uh, I have leukemia and I don't have long. And I've already spoken to Ron Miller and you are going to do this after I'm gone. And I thought, oh my God. <laughs> wow. That, that that's like you're you're like at his hospital bed and he's telling you this? Yeah, I oh my I don't God. know I don't know why he didn't say anything before that, but I guess you know, everything before that was teaching and, and education and I I part of me wishes I had known that was the goal, I would have probably asked a lot more questions. But, but he's like the like, kung fu, he's like the kung fu master and you're like the grasshopper. And he, he's keeping he's keeping everything close to his chest until until finally he he tells you you're ready you're ready grasshopper and instead of it being a joyful thing I was sad that I was going to lose my friend so sure, I couldn't sure. really I couldn't really um, celebrate that uh, yeah yeah that is very sad by the way ju- just for the audience uh, Saint Joseph's Hospital is right across Buena Vista Street at the Walt Disney Studios. It's right across the street. And it's it's the hospital where Walt passed away. And a lot they called it the Disney Triangle. <laughs> yeah, well, we, 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 we dubbed it the Disney, <laughs> Disney Triangle because you had the Disney Studios, you had St. Joseph's Hospital, and then across the way was the cemetery. So Where's you had, that was the Disney Triangle. And uh, it's funny, I was over there the other day because it's something that's safe to do during quarantine, uh, almost everybody's over there. John Lounsbury, Eric Larson, Jack Hanna, Roy. All, all, all up on the hill overlooking the Disney studios. Right. Yeah. So um, that's why I'm so protective of it. You know, I mean, this was such a generous thing. First, the family paid for me to go to school. And then, you know, the generosity of Eric Larson teaching me animation and Jack Hanna, you know, answering any questions I had for another eight years or so after Clarence left on Clarence. And I'm still in touch with Clarence's daughters, Kay and Peggy, you know, weekly. Uh, wow. Kay just turned 90. Holy mackerel. <clears throat> so, you know, it's uh, something I take very seriously. And, uh, you know, I fight for, for it to be done right. You know, Frank and Ollie would say, just because these are the most beloved characters in the last 90 years doesn't mean you can't destroy them. Right. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's really important to keep it the same. And a lot of people will come in for a a small period of time and they'll want to do something new. They'll want to reinvent the wheel. And I have to, you know, get into a discussion about why that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> so, yeah. the, can we, all right, we're going to have Donald do the Gettysburg Address. And I think, really? <laughs> <laughs> but, but our friend Roy E. Disney yes. really stepped up and, and it's another one and, and <clears throat> sort of, you know, put his foot down about that kind of stuff, didn't he? Uh, he did. And, and uh, tell us what, what he did. He did. I, I feel bad that I didn't bring that up. I'm glad that you did because Roy E. Disney probably had as much to do with it as all the other gentlemen that, uh, um, uh, and around 98, Clarence passed away in 85 and I started it then. 
And at that point, the big problem was Mickey. There was somebody doing Mickey's voice. One Jack, uh, what was his name at Disneyland? Jack Wagner, the announcer, was doing Mickey's voice there. And Pete Renaday was doing Mickey's voice for the record. Wayne Allwine was doing it for um, films and television. And there was, I think, a couple of others. And we were talking, you, you know, yourself, you could just go up to Roy's office and talk to Barbara or or, um, Monica and see if he was free and just go in and talk. Yeah. That was, that's the, 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 the great uh, thing about Roy uh, was, and a lot of the guys at the studio, if you went up to their office and and they weren't in the middle of a call or in a meeting or something like that, they'd be like, Hey, come on in. Always. And you'd go in and chat with them. You know, and that was something that Walt, you know, was passionate about uh, an open door policy because that helps creativity. If you feel open, like you can talk to them, a lot of good things came out of it. And that was one of the things I was talking to. There were uh, several of us that were talking to Roy about consistency, and he absolutely agreed. And in 1988, he started Disney Character Voices, which oversees uh, any cat new casting if someone passes away. Or recording sessions, sets them up, checks dialogue to be in character. And they do a great job. They work really hard. They do, you know, everything from ice shows, uh, ice shows to toys. Um, but, but you know, the, the, the one thing that we, we really have to mention here is that it's not just English voice. They dub in, international. 50, in 56 languages. So uh, character voices made sure that they had the guy in Vietnam right. who did the character voice or the person in Korea or the Philippines or India. That All of those territories have a voice actor who's approved to do the character voices in those languages. Absolutely. And uh, Rick Dempsey runs that department and he's a great guy. He does a great, they work so hard internationally is amazing that they will take every movie that comes out and recast it in every foreign language and re-record the dialogue, which is uh, a lot of work. With a lot of care, a lot of care. Yeah, it's very well done. It's all about the quality. They've uh, put together some programs where you can hear a, a sequence in 20 languages. And it's amazing how the voice sounds the same as it's changing through those languages. Mm-hmm. Um, so Roy did that. You know, there were many times uh, he always had our back. There was a time on uh, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse when that show started that they wanted to, the person who's long gone wanted to recast Mickey with somebody he knew and wanted to get rid of Wayne. And uh, we tried, you know, we always try to fix it ourselves, but we couldn't. And and Wayne and Rusi, who were married, Mickey and Minnie were married. I, I don't know that everybody knows that. Went in to talk to Roy and he made one phone call and it was fixed. It's like, what are you doing? Don't, you know, because the voice and the way the character looks, the reason... You know, you 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 get to know these characters. You feel like they're family, and if you change them, imagine somebody in your family that you love, like your grandmother, a favorite aunt. If she suddenly came to Thanksgiving dinner and she had a different voice and a different face, mm. it would it would not be. It's not your grandmother. No. Yeah. So keeping it the same is something that Roy was very passionate about. So he was the one that made us all official voices. He said, you know. 
Wayne is Mickey. Wayne trains from, you know, Walt passed it on to Jimmy McDonald, who passed it on to Wayne. Sadly, that kind of ended there. And Clarence did it for 50 years and passed it on to me. Um, Rusi, I have to give a lot of credit because there wasn't much of Minnie. You know, they would use a different ink and paint girl for sure. a couple of lines. Right. When, when Rusi came along and, and uh, did Minnie, she made more of the character. So I think she was a they started to use Minnie all over the place. And that's really a credit to, to Rusi. You know, I, I have to say, I was just sitting here thinking about Wayne and the fact that Wayne passed away uh, without having groomed somebody to sort of take over. Um, and, and so that, that sort of connection back to Walt was broken, wasn't it? And Roy passed away about the same time. So they've both been gone about a decade now. Yeah. yeah. And that made a big difference. Um, I miss Roy. Uh, you know, I think about all the times we'd be walking along Dopey Drive and he'd put his arm around my shoulder and say, fight the good fight. You know, it isn't easy, but yeah. And so that was always my, my, my motivation was to protect it from people who wanted to change it. And, and and so how's that going now? I mean, you're still do you're still the official voice of Donald Duck and you're still doing plenty of recording because they're doing a lot of stuff with Donald. A lot. I'm actually doing more now <clears throat> uh, than happened in a while. We're we're doing a new uh, show on Disney Junior. It's you know it'll also be on Disney Plus. I don't. I don't think they've announced it, so I don't think I can talk about it. But it's. I. I have to oh, say. Oh come on! Let's make it. The, it'll be the first here on yeah, and the podcast, and, and then on. and then it'll be the last of me. <laughs> um, but what I can tell you is that uh, the guys who are working on it really care. They're great uh, guys. They're doing a great job. The show is is cute. It doesn't talk down to kids. It's everything. Oh, they're using Mary Blair colors. They're doing their research. All the characters are on model. They're nice. going back to the original Freddie Moore design for Mickey. Awesome. I couldn't be happier. And they they do what it just makes it such a pleasure to me because they let me go over the We used to do this. We'd get a script and I would bring it home <clears throat> and go over it. And um, Donald just can't say everything. It's a very limited vocabulary to sure. be understood. Yeah. So I would take the script and not change the premise or the idea, just the words so that they could be, you know, for enunciation, for example, Donald cannot say ours. So if you get a script and it has rear, you won't understand it. So I'll change it to last, which is very clear. Okay. <clears throat> but you, but but Donald can't go. R matey, he can't be a pirate, can he? <laughs> Not R, <but> matey. <laughs> um. <clears throat> So anyway, but, yeah. But you know something, that's one of the one of the things I love about Donald Duck is that he has a limited vocabulary and that he has these particular phrases like oh fooey uh or so uh and mm -hmm. things like that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, you know. And that's about uh, it. <laughs> you know, but 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 they're but they're very expensive 
expressive of his personality and they fit the uh, context of uh, when you hear him say those things in those shorts, right? Uh, you know, in the classic Donald Duck shorts. Uh, He's a reactive character. Yes, he will absolutely. be the one to, to explain what's going on. You know, it's about the extent of it, you know. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so there you were, know, and, and you know, I, I, I do think that when you go go back and look at you know modern inventions in 1937, or you know any of those classic shorts, um, it 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 really is um, uh, part of the the holistic. Uh, presence of this character that he has that limited vocabulary uh, that you can just about understand those phrases. Right. And they learned to work with that because he, he was the most popular character, especially in the forties, Walt called him the Gable of our stable, referring to Clark Gable being the biggest star at MGM. Um, well, and, and, and Donald had that fighting personality that was perfect for the World War II era uh, and, and why he really did eclipse uh, Mickey in, in the late 30s. He could get think? away with more. Many could, mm-hmm. Mickey couldn't behave badly. Donald could. Mm-hmm. And I think the audience, I asked Jack this early on, you know, why do you think Donald was so popular? He goes, well, because there's a little bit of Donald in all of us. You know, you get in a situation and you try and do the best you can and Chippendale come along and get in the way. And that's when you get your dander up. You know, Donald isn't an angry character. He just has a temper. If you set it off, he sets out to have fun. He loves to play practical jokes and have a good time. It's when, you know, Humphrey, the bear steals his, uh, he gets mad. That's why I am Donald Duck as a person. You know, I may not have the voice, but I have so I I have so much affinity for the character. And Tony, I I thank you so much for bringing this character to life because uh, he he is. You're right. There's so much Donald Duck in all of us, and definitely in me. You know, I find out that I love to have fun. I'm an easygoing guy until I get triggered, and then I'm Donald Duck. <laughs> then I'm Donald Duck. <laughs> you and me both. I mean, I, I Clarence was not at all like Donald Duck, but I am. <laughs> you know, I I never met Clarence, but he always came across. No, I never did. I, but he always came across to me as being sort of. He was like a farm boy. I mean, I think he was from Oklahoma yeah, or something like yeah, that, right? He, for, he yeah. just came across as just this, like you know, real easygoing, nice guy. Very much. I mean, he came from a farm, and he did. More than Donald, every bird you've ever heard in a Disney movie is Clarence. And all the birds in the tiki room, that's Clarence. Wow. He did every horse, every every animal sound. Uh, I never learned how to do any of those. Um, but but you but you've done other voices, haven't you? Outside of Donald, do you have you done ancillary voices? Yeah, I, I seem to remember you did some for some of the feature films we worked on at Disney in the nineties. Yeah, they have a, a Screen Actors Guild has a, a rule that uh, an actor can do three voices and you don't have to pay them anymore. So if there's uh, you know incidental characters that only have a line or two, like a policeman or a cab driver they'll give some of those to myself or Wayne or Rusi and, um, and you do them during the, the uh, session. Yeah. I'll do all the duck stuff. And then they'll say, you know, can you do this cab driver? And 
Well, what does a cab driver sound like, you know? Hey, buddy, where you going? Hey, but where, where to, pal? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, I do kind of miss, you know, early on we would do it together. We would all be in the room together. We'd all have our own microphone and it was more like a radio show and you could really work off of each other. And when uh, technology got uh, uh, so fancy, <laughs> uh, now we just do it, our, you know, one at a time. And there's good and bad. You don't have their lines to work off of. But the amazing thing is I can do five takes of a line and they'll take one, the first word from the first take and the second word from the third take and the, you know, and put them together. They they Frankenstein the line together. And you can't tell. Yeah. And you can't tell, but it sounds better than what I did. Mm-hmm. So it in that case, technology, and there's also a couple of engineers, those guys, they don't get enough credit. There's a couple that I work with, uh, uh, Daniel over at Igloo and uh, uh, Ethan at Character Voices. Well, and, and it's, it's the uh, audio software, too, where they can actually <clears throat> go in and just, you know, clip clip that word out of a take and join it with another word from a different take. And but they also for Donald, because it's so splatty and sometimes it sounds so raspy, like Daniel can go in and cut that out. Like it'll mm-hmm. be the same take, but it'll suddenly sound soft and smooth. And he's the only one, uh, Ethan can do that too. But um, yeah, that that's something that's gotten better though. I do miss the camaraderie of, I mean, w- the other reason is we couldn't get anything done because Wayne was so funny. I wish so much that we had recordings of the session because he was always going off onto some tangent and we were laughing so hard. Rusi would laugh so hard that she didn't, a sound wouldn't come out. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I missed that. You know, and I, I always like whenever I did recording sessions with, with you or uh, Rusi or, or Bill Farmer or, you know, uh, 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 Jim Cummings and, and folks like that, uh, it, it was always a lot of fun. But I, I absolutely feel like uh, there's a limit. And we used to we, we used to do four hour sessions and I'm not sure if you're still doing that, but but we, we would book, uh, uh, you know, talent in four hour blocks. That uh-huh. would be a session. Right. Uh, and uh, we try and get most of the recording done within that four hours if we could, mm-hmm. you know, are they still doing that? And, 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 you know, what, what's your upper limit of doing a recording session in a day? Well, Donald is just more complicated in every way. And I have to apologize, but there's nothing you can do about it. I, I, I can't eat for two hours before. So there isn't saliva so I can get a clear sound. And I, I have to be up for, a few hours so that my sinuses are clear because that's where the air escapes. And uh, I can only do the voice for about two hours, depending on what it is. If it's little lines like, stuff like that, it's okay. But if it's tantrums or yelling, it cuts it down because what happens is my tongue starts to swell up. Mm from the wow. pressure and I, when you get on to about two hours it's really hard to it gets harder and harder to get it out so fortunately there aren't a lot of uh of of lines to do for donald which is the way it's supposed to be um, sure sure 
I mean, if you look at those cartoons in the 50s, in an entire eight-minute cartoon, there might be five lines. Exactly. And, and they're that, just a couple of words. You know, and that, that was the brilliance of uh, a lot of the uh, classic animation was that it was mostly visual. Oh, that was, uh, yeah. You know, and, 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 and to me that, you know, you look at the script for Bambi, right? I mean. It, yeah. Bambi's got to, like nine lines in the whole movie. Yeah. Next to nothing. And, uh, and to me, I think, uh, you know, nowadays they seem to become, you know, just too wordy. You oh, know? Yeah. I mean, they're talking like, oh, I'm going to go over and pick up a glass heads. of water right now instead of like, just go pick up the glass of water. You don't have to tell us you're doing it. You exactly, know Exactly, Dave. We could so. do another two hours on animation. I know we could I mean, we could have a real <clears throat> gripe session. Right. I mean, we could just go off, yeah, no, can, but we're not going to. Right. <laughs> Al John's going, please don't. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Jack would always say, you know, show it, don't say it. And and Eric Larson would say we're not not doing illustrated radio scripts you have to be i mean walt would work with charlie chaplin on how to you you plan your film your story out doing it in pantomime with no dialogue and then just add it in where you need it you yep. don't just have talking heads to explain everything exactly Exactly. And, and that's the big difference uh, with, with the way the films are being made today in comparison to the, the, those uh, golden age features and uh, short cartoons. There's also the tendency now to use celebrity voices, but I guess they think that'll help their box office. I don't know if it does, but it doesn't help the film because they don't have any character in their voice. They're really a face movie star, yeah. you know, like Brad Pitt. He's a great actor, but any of those guys or ladies doing voices, it, you know, it, in the days of Mel Blanc and June Foray, I mean, those that was character. Mm-hmm. Hans Conrad and, and Paul Fries and yeah, all, you, know, all you kind of need that caricature. Yeah. Everything yeah. in animation should be caricature, not real life or do it in live action. I think I think it was I think it was Jeffrey Katzenberg that that actually started with the uh, the the big celebrity names um, uh, casting celebrities for voices and, and you know I have to say like you know a uh, 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 Robin Williams as the genie in Aladdin I mean that, well he that, had that, a great that, voice that, that was a great voice and, and a great and character a character you know he created characters absolutely you know, I mean, you know but uh, but I think when he started DreamWorks after he left Disney and he, he started DreamWorks animation. It was all about just getting named people in the cast, and that was all for marketing purposes. Right. I mean, whether it's voices or animation, I think it for me, it all comes down to craftsmanship. I'm much more impressed with craftsmanship where somebody has done something with their bare hands out of nothing than with technology, because then really... The computers, I'm not saying there's anything against technology. In fact, earlier I said it really helps the quality of what gets in the film that I record. But um, for animation, you know, you have to, I remember when we started at CalArts, Jack Hanna would say, well, it takes 10 years to be a Disney animator. And I thought, no, 10 years, but it does. It's 10,000 hours. It's an art form. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, being a prima ballerina or an opera singer or a concert pianist, it takes a lot of time to learn how to do it well. And you're you don't constantly. have to cha- change the software. You just do it. You're either good at it yeah. or you're not. 
Yeah, I mean, you're constantly honing your skills, right? Uh, and and you get better uh, as you go through each picture because you're you're being presented with different challenges and different uh, types of uh, situations that uh, may be new to you. And and over that ten or so year period, you're you're really you know building those skills up. That right, that, uh, and then you've always got them. It's like riding a bike. I mean, exactly. you know, Dave, being an effects animator as well, if, if I look at Fantasia and look at any of it, the Nutcracker Suite with those flowers, mm-hmm. the the effects, you know, the airbrush, the ripple glass, the multiplanes, the double exposure, it was all done by hand. Yeah. You know, with paint and Absolutely. drawing. It, there were no computers used. I think people take that for granted. Yeah. Um, that It's organic. It's... Uh, it's impressive to me still. No, and I, I agree. And I, I, I think as, as digital technology started coming into the animation industry, um, you know, it became an arms race of who could build, you know, a better system and have better software and all of that kind of stuff. But and, it's sterile. And I think, I think sometimes you, I, I, I used to wonder sometimes, are we an animation company or are we a software company? And I do think, yeah, you you, uh, inspire me to go down other paths, but uh, I, a lot of people felt like CG was the evolution of animation. I passionately disagree with that. It's two different things. Neither one are bad, but they ended up throwing the baby out with the bathwater by getting rid of traditional animation for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. And it's all CG now. And there's a, there's nothing wrong with that, but Traditional animation was an American art form like jazz. Why would you throw it out? Yeah, yeah. Every time I go to a Comic-Con or a Disney event, that's everybody asks me that. Why don't they do traditional animation anymore? Well, you know, I think I think that they'll that you know when we say they, the suits, as it were, uh, would argue that you know they're giving the marketplace what they want, uh, and I, I'm not sure if that's really uh, truthful. I don't think so. Uh, I either. think I think the marketplace wants to be highly entertained. Yes, uh, and uh, I think you can do that in a variety of techniques. We've seen absolutely great stop motion films like Nightmare Before Christmas or Box Trolls or, you know, Coraline, you know, those types of stop motion pictures that are just incredibly crafted and beautifully all done by hand. I mean, you can see the art uh, the hand of the artist in there. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and the same is true for traditionally animated features. Obviously, the Disney canon of, of uh, classic uh, feature films uh, is an example of that. And there's also some, I think, really well done uh, uh, CG films. The issue I have today is that everybody and their brother is making a CG film and they're all starting to look the same. There's Yeah, there's a sameness and a yeah. sterile quality to it. Um, you know, I, I just saw a trailer for one CG film. I don't want to say what it is. I don't want to be uh, too harshly disparaging about it. But I have to say, I saw this trailer and I thought to myself, well, this is a live action movie. Why didn't they just make this a live action movie? Absolutely. You know, I mean, it was like all humanoid characters, you know, and yes, there were a couple of, you know, uh, creatures in there, but you know, again, you know, look at any Star Wars movie, right, Al John? Uh, and you've got live actors and you've got these alien creatures that are being created CG. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm not going to mention Jar Jar Binks. Well, no, I mean, you're <laughs> right, though. You're right, though. I think I think people are looking to be entertained, and I think that uh, you could have done Toy Story in a completely 2D traditional animated film, and it still would have been great because the story is really good. It's a good. great story. It's story. Great story. story. It all story. comes down to story. Yeah. If you have a good but, but, you know, story. It, it, if you look at those early CG films, they were picking, like, you know, with Toy Story, they picked rigid body objects, toys. That which, looks shiny anyway. Like, yeah, which lent itself to the computer <laughs> technology. Exactly. The same with, you know, fish in Finding Nemo or, um, you know, ants uh, in... Um, yeah. Uh, Bugs, Bugs Life. Life. Bugs Life. Thank you. Uh, I, I mean, you know, listen, the, those early CG That's films, appropriate. You know, again, you were you were kind of casting the technique for the story and who the characters were, uh, and I think that's really terrific. I, I'm just like, you know, when I see some of these uh, uh, current animated films that are just all populated with humanoid characters, I'm thinking to myself, why, why don't you just make this an animated film, a, a live action film? You absolutely, know I mean? animation so. lends itself to caricature. You want to do something yeah. that you can't do in live action. Yeah. And it is all about the story, a good solid story and characters that are interesting and appealing. Even the villain should be appealing. But, um, uh, you know, the, those early Pixar films, they were, you know, people that had had the same training that you and I did, you know, it was Joe Ramped was had a story. Sure. And he, came, he was in our class. Yeah, he was one of, I think, probably uh, the greatest story uh, artist of our generation, don't you think? Absolutely, and it was never quite the same same after that. you know, it's it, it's a very interesting uh, you know conversation to have, but I want to veer us back into Donald Duck and like, what's the future of Donald Duck with uh, with Disney? Uh, well, they're, they're clearly doing more stuff. There's going to be more content generated because they've got this entire Disney Plus platform uh, that they and you know really need to have uh, a new original content for. Yeah, and uh, Disney Plus, I love it because they're showing all the the library stuff. I mean, they've got a yeah. lot of new content. It's great, and yeah. a lot of stuff. Uh, it's a very eclectic collection, but not enough the of the library time, stuff. Yeah, I agree, and I think they'll add it on there from change it out from time to time. But I'm happy to be able to turn it on and watch old Donald Duck cartoons or Saludos Amigos or The Reluctant mm-hmm. Dragon. If you dig in there. There's some great stuff. Uh, yeah, but is, isn't Pecos, uh, Pecos Pete, isn't he smoking still or not? Pecos Bill. <laughs> pa- pa- excuse me, Pecos Bill. It's probably. I think they, I think they I digitally removed the cigarette. They, they did. And how <laughs> silly is that? Cowboys did have cigarettes. Put a little disclaimer uh, at the beginning. Yeah. A little disclaimer. Uh, so what is Donald doing? Uh, last week I did two uh, things for a cruise line. I don't know. Right. For when they reopen. Um, that's a natural. I mean, he's a sailor. I mean, he should be, he, he should be doing a lot. He should be doing a lot of stuff true. for the cruise line. A 20, lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Twenty twenty two. They they've got the, they're redoing the old ship. So I'm hoping that uh, 
that we get to see a lot more Donald in there other than so, the Aqua Duck. So, so, uh, Al John, when you say they're redoing it, so are they refurbishing like the Wonder and yeah. the uh, Magic? They are. The older ships? They uh, are. But they're also going to be bringing on two, uh, aren't they bringing on two new cruise ships as yes. well? Yes, they are. Yeah. And I think they're going to yeah. be cloning the Aqua Duck. So hopefully we'll have more Aqua Duck, uh, Donald Duck happening. I think, that's what, I think that's what it was that I did. But there's also, <laughs> also dinner shows and, and I mean, before the holidays, I did some singing Christmas ornaments and um, we're oh, so, doing, you, so you're actually doing the voice for merchandise as well. Anytime they use it and they do an ice show every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's through Feld entertainment. Right. So they always have, they always have the uh, Disney on ice uh, Christmas show. And we're still doing the shorts, the Mickey mouse mm-hmm. world of Mickey mouse. And that's on the Disney plus. Those are, those are the, the, the new Mickey shorts. Right. Yeah, yeah. With the uh, uh, who's uh, who, who's the guy behind that? Paul, um, I can't remember his name. Um, uh, uh, now you can. You know who I'm talking about. I he's, do. He's the, <laughs> he's the guy, guy that I know. It's it's terrible. Where you know, it, I'm getting all old. of these people. Names. I can't remember some last names. I always, and the other thing is, you're always running into me. Hey, Tony, how are you? And it's like, <laughs> hey, Paul. You know, and you're like, uh, what was his last name? I can't remember his the last other name. Thing is because <laughs> it's a first name basis thing at Disney. Yeah. I never yeah. learn their last names uh, oftentimes. It's always, you know, <laughs> what's your last name, Dave? <laughs> I know, really, exactly. You know, that that's what it is, you know. Well, I, so I have that, to ask, that's great. I have to ask though. I have to ask. Yeah. You know, first of all, big fan. Love the the Legend of Three Caballeros, by the way, also. Oh, the stuff, thank you. The that stuff, was fun. Oh, it, it's so much fun. And then I also love the stuff you did with the park. And I have to ask, um, when 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 you go to the park and you see um, Mickey's PhilharMagic, and you see Donald uh-huh. in there and everything. Um, what was your first reaction to to seeing that for the first time when you saw it at the park? I mean, it's kind I'll of tell you, Donald's I'll tell you what, <clears throat> what I'm most proud about Mickey's PhilharMagic is, and this is uh, the same in Roger Rabbit. This That was two times where half of it is me and half of it is Clarence, and I don't think you can tell. So uh, that's what I'm. That 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 shows me that I'm doing my job. Well, I was going to say that's that's perfection. That that you know, if you're able to do the voice the way Clarence did the voice, and you can't tell between, that's the goal. The two of you. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's perfection. Thanks. Yeah, we can't. We, I mean, really we fans, we 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 can't tell. But I tell you that 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 piece is still very emotional to a lot of people, you know, I can't, I can't leave Mickey's PhilharMagic and not feel the, the welling up of emotion because it's such a great, it's such a great uh, mm-hmm. attraction. And the other thing. Too- <laughs> and that, that, that was directed by George Scribner, our, our pal, George, who yeah, was on George. the show several months ago. <clears throat> Who's also an amazing painter. Yeah, I oh, was, yeah. Do you remember the movie four artists paint one tree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, you know something? I've talked with Don Hahn about yeah. this on a number of occasions saying they really do another to, one. Do another one of those and get some of our pals uh, who are really great painters to be able to stand around a big oak tree and, or a barn, uh, something or, different, something, but, you know, and and, <clears throat> and paint it and see the different interpretations. That, that was what was absolutely. so great about that film. Razul Azadani is a yeah, brilliant yeah. watercolorist and yes. uh, George Scribner and Don Hahn himself. Don Hahn, what an amazing guy. I mean, a producer, he's done so much. 
uh, on top of it, he's hilarious. He yes, have he's his very funny. Show. And he's yeah. a brilliant painter. Oh, and he's a musician. We're going to get him on the show mm-hmm. at some point. You know, so it's, I, I don't know, like when we have more than 10 listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have. <laughs> well, you just started. <clears throat> but you, your, your content is, is what the fans, I think, want. So, you know. Well, you know, I, I, I have to agree with you because I think really, you know, what people enjoy is hearing the stories, you know, and, and it brings, you know, it begs the question for me to ask you, uh, what, you know, you, you must have some funny stories to tell about, uh, Don, doing the voice of Donald Duck. I mean, have you, have you had anybody come in and say, Oh, this is we want Donald to say this. And you looked at it and said, Oh my gosh, I, there's no way <laughs> most character would say this kind of stuff. And then you have to be diplomatic and talk to them and all of that. I mean, you, you must have some really funny stories. Yeah, I mean, a million stories come to mind. Uh, my, I love to just go into Jack's office or Roy E's office or Eric's office and hear their stories and to pass those along. Um, I can tell you some of those if we have time. For my for myself, the show that you mentioned, Legend of the Three Caballeros, that's gotten quite a following. And uh, it, it was made, f- one of the first shows that was made for Disney+. Plus. And everybody that I meet loves that the most. And the guys that did that show really cared again about uh, quality and being on model and, and, and being in character. And they would let me go over the script and write it for Donald. And then when they had it all cut in, they'd let me listen to it. And I, I could hear the takes they picked and I'd say, Oh, I can do that one clearer. And we'd go back in and make it even better. And I think the quality shows when you do it that way, but every once in a while, there'll be somebody that doesn't, and they had a Disney upbringing. They were fans their whole life. They wanted to be a part of it. They respected it. And I respect that. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, someone will come from somewhere else that never saw a Disney movie in their life, but now they're going to put on the sorcerer's hat and be Walt Disney and they're going to reinvent the wheel. Right. That's always been the problem at Disney is you get, (laughs) as soon as somebody comes in, especially an executive, as soon as an executive comes into Disney, all of a sudden they are a creative person. Right. And uh, whether they have talent or not. Or uh, the director, there were a couple of projects. I won't (laughs) say which ones, but you know, they were, they had a better idea than Walt. Like why, you know, I read the comic books and there's a lot of dialogue why don't we put more dialogue like the comic books as an homage to, to Carl Barks. And I would say, well, because you can read that it's right in front of it. You know what he's saying, but if I say it into the microphone, you're not going to. So I will record it. And there on the other side of the glass, you know, crickets blinking and, you know, uh, and we, we, we couldn't really understand that very well. Or the other thing they'll say is, <laughs> I, I'll say, that's not very clear. Can we cut this line down a little bit? And they'll say, oh, no, we understood it perfectly. It sounds great because they have the script right in front of them. They know what I'm saying because they wrote it. But I know from experience that the audience is not going to know, you know, and um you know, having, like I said, Donald saying the Gettysburg Address is not a good idea. It's not right. an appropriate use of the character. Some of um, uh, Clarence and Jack's stories, uh, when you said that, one came to mind that, well, there was one where I went over across the street with Clarence and his Donald puppet to 
uh, St. Joseph's Hospital to, he would go once a week and go to the children's, the pediatric wing mm-hmm. and go in their rooms. And there was uh, a nurse that came out and she said, um, there's a girl, she had her um, tonsils out and she's crying. If she doesn't stop, I'm afraid she's going to hurt herself. And so Clarence went up to the little girl who was really screaming at the top of her lungs and put the puppet right in front of her face and said, shut up! (laughs) And she did. That's awesome. That's so great. You know, I, a lot of those folks were were just so generous and and, and fun to talk with, and, and and actually listen, just sit and listen to those stories. You know, I mean, oh yeah, uh, that, Jack. That, that to me, I used to go up to Jack's office when I was at Cal Arts and chat with him uh, in the late afternoon, and and you know, just prompt him with a question or two, and he just talk and tell you stories. It was great I stuff. love that. You would, I yeah. would say, how long did it, did it, were you working on a short? And you'd say, well, you know, I think we had about two weeks to do the boards and we get them all up. And then we had to meet with Walt Disney. He it was like one word, Walt Disney. Yeah. The yeah. way he'd sit. And uh, he'd come in and he'd sit in one of those Kim Weber airline chairs and he'd look over the, over the board. Wouldn't say a thing. For 20 minutes, just scratching his leg, tapping on the chair there, making a nervous wreck. And then he'd jump up and start ripping down the boards. You don't need this, and you don't need this, and you don't need this, and put this over here. Oh, it'd break your heart. Um, I just thought that was interesting that they always taught us, and that came from Walt, that if it doesn't further the story, take it out. Yeah, well, that's, you know, the famous story of um, uh, Ward Kimball doing the soup eating sequence for Snow right. White and the Seven Dwarves, all of that work. And, and you know, the in, in more recent years, uh, when they were putting the film out on DVD and stuff and had bonus material, they would include, usually include the soup eating sequence as the outtake, uh, right. the big outtake sequence. And, 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 you know, a lot of people don't realize it, but I mean, Ward Kimball almost quit the studio because they, because. Walt had pulled that out because it didn't further the studio. It was brilliant animation. It was funny, but it didn't move the story along. But and, Walt gave him Jiminy Cricket. On but that. Walt gave him Jiminy Cricket to kind of uh, placate him and make him stay. Right. So, but, you know, it, it, it really is interesting uh, to hear some of those uh, stories from the people that lived through it. And that, that was always, uh, always a treat. It's, uh, a, it's a tribal knowledge that's passed down. You know, all those guys that we were fortunate enough to work with and they passed what they knew down to us. But then it stopped. And I think that makes me sadder than anything. I remember when we went to the reunion, uh, they showed Beauty and the Beast at the Academy, uh, 25th year, I think. I don't remember, but yeah, yeah. they showed it. And afterwards, they had everybody that was in the audience that worked on the film get up on the stage, and most everybody was there. And it was, I don't know, 50 people. And I looked at that group, and I thought, those are the most talented people in this industry and none of them are working at Disney. How did that happen? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that was, uh, that was part of the issue, I think. Uh, and I think you hit the nail on the head there. There is that sort of uh, tribal 
uh, knowledge, knowledge that that gets rolled along and constantly being passed down, and uh, and when you break that, when you lose that, then then it's it, you know it, it starts to become something a different that, thing. that it wasn't meant to be. Right. You know, it starts to become like we've you know we've talked about from time to time. It, it starts to become about the almighty dollar, and you know Walt was never about the almighty dollar. You know, I mean, he famously said, uh, we don't make pictures to make money. We make money to make pictures. Right. You know? And and that's really the the uh, attitude that you have to have is that you have to put the quality in and you have to really understand um, the legacy, not live in the past, but understand the legacy and uh, and what what that Disney brand really uh, stands for, uh, and, and you can and bring, bring these, that, yeah, and bring that along into the uh, into the future. Contemporary settings, yeah, you can you can yeah. bring Donald into a contemporary situation with a smartphone or a computer and have him get mad at how hard it is to download software. You know, that's perfectly in character, and that's sure. a great. It's like use updating of, modern inventions. Yeah, there's yeah. there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, don't change Donald. Yeah, don't don't go in and and say he should he, he should now sound like an angry Frenchman, you know, <laughs> or, or something. Uh, yeah, or, or or some other type of voice, you know, or change so, his face. Or... Yeah. So what what's what's the future hold for you, Tony? What what are you working on? What are you you're obviously continuing to do a lot of voiceover. Are you doing anything else? That uh, keeps me busy. I'm um, sure it does. You know, it's a blessing and I'm grateful and I don't take it for granted that there is a lot of uh, duck projects going on. Oh, it's just something I can tell you about. And by the way, we, we, we should touch on this really quick before you get to that story. Uh, the fact that the animation industry has been really doing very well during the pandemic. Yeah, because everybody can do it at home. Yeah, everybody can work at home. I mean, you can see behind me my Kim yeah. You Weber got your your Kem Kem Weber animation desk there, <laughs> and my my Dave Bossert Kem Weber book is right on the top. Ah, there. thank you very much. It's it such a great job. Thank you. thank you for the. It's shameless. not shameless. I'm proud. I'm proud of your book, Dave. Also, the Disneyland 3D book that you did with my buddy Ted Kiersey. You know, we were neighbors. He's the I, reason yes, I, I found this house, and uh, his slides. Uh, it's so. I, it makes me so happy to look at those pictures of the Disneyland that I remembered, even right. just the color, you know, the Walt Disney's original color, you know, and Claude Coates and, and John Hench and Mary Blair, the castle colors, the original ones and the mighty, mighty uh, Matterhorn with the snow cap on it. Mm -hmm. All those colors that are so beautiful. Mm -hmm. You forget how beautiful it was and, and attractions that are gone and, and in 3D, you know, that's well, a thank, thank you very much. I, that was a fun book to do. And, uh, and we're going to have Ted on as a guest, uh, at February, uh, I've got Great. him booked, you know, he, and he's got some fabulous stories to tell us about John Lounsbury and Holly oh, yeah. and, and those guys and Dale bear. I mean, we lost our friend Dale bear a few weeks ago and that made uh, me sad. Yeah, but you know Ted and Dale, 
came into the studio. I think uh, early seventies. Uh, yeah, it was. Early, I think it was nineteen seventy. I, I was. Mm-hmm. I, I think Ted came in first, and like a month or two later, Dale came in. They were like the first couple of guys of that sort of next generation that the old timers were going to start training. They had so much more time with the nine old men, and I think yeah. it really showed in Dale Bear's work. And he was such a quiet mild-mannered, self-effacing guy that Mm -hmm. he didn't get a lot of attention. But I personally think his character animation was better than the guys that did get a lot of attention. He did amazing stuff. I would see animation and look up who did it, and it was Dale. Oh yeah, I mean he 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 was a brilliant animator, and and you know left the studio and started his own uh, Bear Animation Studio with, right. with his then wife Jane Bear and another legend, and um, you know they they did all kinds of uh, projects for Disney while they had that studio. Uh, worked on parts of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and right. um, other films, and and then he eventually came back to the studio. But yeah, you know, you're right. He was he was a quiet, self-effacing guy, but he was also an opposing figure, you know? I think, you know, he was just this really tall guy with cowboy boots and jeans and long hair and a beard. <laughs> and yeah, you know? And I think I think some people were were intimidated by just by the way he looked, you know, and not oh, realizing I thought that he was like a big that, teddy bear. Yeah, but he was absolutely just the nicest guy. I'm sorry you couldn't get him on your podcast. You know something? He was on my list and I was so, so devastated and shocked when I heard that he had passed away because I didn't even know he was ill. I didn't either. Yeah, yeah. it was it was a shame. It really was. What what there, a wonderful guy. Yeah, you'll have to get all the people because there is a, a progression of the people that had direct lineage to the nine old men that were sure. in our class. Yeah. And then after they didn't. Yeah. And, and, you know, Dave Pruxma, I think is a uh, kind of an unsung guy. He's, uh, yeah. he, he's, he, he's on my list to reach out to. I've, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm going to start booking guests for March pretty soon. So yeah, start you know, with he, those he's, guys. He's on my list. And, you know, it's so funny. Al, Al John's nodding, but you know, every time we do a show every week, um, and have a guest, you know, last week we, we had, uh, uh, Tony, uh, no, excuse me. Last week we had Barbara Abercrombie. The week before we had Tony uh, Bancroft, and you know we were, you know, Tony's mentioning all these different people we'd all worked with, and I'm writing down. I'm, I, I have a list here. I keep writing names down and say, oh yeah, I got to give that person a call. And uh, you know, so we're we're going to eventually work our way through a whole bunch of folks and and get a lot of these stories documented and and just have have a fun time chatting about it. And anybody you can get, I would start with people like Richard Sherman, if you can get him, you know, people that actually worked with Walt that are still around. Sure. There's so very yeah. few. Catherine Beaumont, maybe. Um, yeah. Wow. Some names, boy, I'll tell you that. Well, all I can say is it's been a pleasure having you, Tony. Thanks for having uh, me. Dave. On our, our Skull Rock podcast. And I uh, appreciate you uh, spending a little part of your uh, day with us and uh, Al John did anybody come in with any questions for for Tony funny you mentioned that yes there we go Skull Podcast <laughs> answers your email all right our top fan Spencer is asking Tony can you please talk about your work on the Little Mermaid and which characters did you animate the Little Mermaid <clears throat> 
Um, that, goes, that goes back. We're, we're back. I remember that back. I was uh, roommates with Jorn Klubin, and he taught me how to swear in Danish. <laughs> That's what I remember about. And I remember when we had the first screening, they, uh, Under the Sea, I think, was the first part they finished. And we had a screening, we went in and they played that number and I thought, oh, wow, <laughs> this is going to be good. I just, there were movies that we worked on where I thought from the beginning, we knew this is going to be a good one. And there were others where we would go to the screening and I remember everybody walking out of the theater quiet with their head down thinking, oh, <laughs> you know, Tony, though, that, that was always the way, though, with yeah. every film we worked on, there was, was there was those moments where you went into a screening, uh, you know, because uh, as you're working on these animated films, we get to see the film every six, seven, eight weeks or whatever uh -huh. it is. They put the reels up and we'd all sit in the theater and we would, we'd watch it as a work in progress. In progress. And, and and there were those moments where you kind of came out of the theater and go, oh no, this is going to be the bomb of this <laughs> of the decade, you know. And, and then and then the next screening, you'd be like, wow, they you know, fixed like it. They, they fixed that. It, it, that. It's really feeling good, you yeah, know. Yeah, that's just the uh, progress. Yeah. So <laughs> there were some though that I mean, you know, working on Mickey's Christmas Carol was such a joy to me because it was working with Eric Larson on those standard characters and that, that I was in the room, you know, that picture of Walt and Eric Larson in the hallway when Eric was directing sleeping beauty. Yes. Uh -huh. That was Eric's hallway. And that's where we trained in those open doors behind him in that picture. Yeah. And I was in the room right next to Eric Larson. We would work on test scenes and yeah. we'd bring it into him and, you know, we'd work so hard trying to figure it out and, bring it into him and he'd put it on on the desk and take a pencil and hardly touch it and just say well, what if you did this and you could see this magic come off the paper and go oh my god i don't know what i'm doing you know and, and tony eric larson's name comes up periodically as we're talking with various folks and he really was one of the last of the nine old men to still work at the right. studio when we were all coming in and and there for several years he was one of i think he was the last of the nine old old man to actually retire mm -hmm. uh, but spent it's got to be what uh, a dozen years or eight or ten years just working with the young guys that were coming in right and that's that's it you know speaking of legacy and tribal knowledge that's what Dave Proxima is doing now teaching traditional animation he's one of the few people that you can take courses in that and and he knows you know what we know from those guys and right. that, that's the one place still where you could learn that. So he would be great on your show. I got off from your question though. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> do you, have, you have another question? Or, Absolutely. Or? There's, there's a couple more. So my wife is asking, she's a big Disney foodie. Uh, what do you have a particular Disney food treat or restaurant that you like to frequent whenever you're at the theme parks? Um, the um, he likes uh, to go to the pond where the ducks are and have people throw, <laughs> throw breadcrumbs at him. Um, the uh, world showcase, oh, yeah, I can spend that's where I go. That's and there was an Italian restaurant, uh, Alfredo's, yes, that yes, was only there and only in Rome. It's not there anymore, sadly. A lot of things aren't there anymore, yeah, but that was definitely my favorite and the um 
the blue bayou is still pretty much intact yeah. so you know having a um you, you can't go to the blue bayou without having the monte cristo sandwich that's oh, the thing you, you know gotta have it. and i remember going in there once and i said i'll have the monte cristo and she said we don't have that anymore and i'm i <laughs> that's exactly my reaction it was a mutiny it, it was, was a mutiny, mutiny. <laughs> uh last question here from joey is asking about the iconic scene in um uh oh of course i, I have the iconic scene the iconic scene in who <laughs> framed roger remember. rabbit in who framed roger <laughs> rabbit uh the dueling pianos was it always dueling pianos with you and 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 mel blank it's as daffy duck was it always that or was it or were there other ideas about having the two ducks kind of combat each other and tony before you answer this question i also want you to touch on you you worked on some of the animation for that didn't you no no i did not because I that thought was you still did. done in london and i didn't go to london oh, i was still here i thought you had done some animation with donald on that no, i know there were uh, Dave Spafford uh, did uh, the uh, Daffy Duck animation. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, there were other. I mean, I did animation. That's the greatest joy for me when I could record the voice and animate to my own recordings, which I had the uh, pleasure of doing on um, Prince and the Popper. I did it, and there was a television show called Funny You Don't Look Two Hundred with Richard Dreyfuss about the American Constitution that I animated and cleaned up Donald and did the voice. And then uh, later on Mickey and the Three Musketeers, which is one of the best things that I got to work on with Donovan Cook, who's also a really talented director. Um, I wish he could do some more. I would love to work with him again. Um, and things here and there, little pieces. So it was always a pleasure to record the voice and think in my mind how I would animate it and then animate it later remembering what I was thinking and then I had complete control of the character and that's only been done the only other people that did that were Milt Call and Freddie Moore and um, Ferdinand the Bull they animated the, the baby Ferdinand and the mother and that was their voice nice. now Ferdinand why don't you that was <laughs> <laughs> that was them uh, you know what? Again, I didn't answer your question. <laughs> oh, no. I just didn't know. If I, maybe this whole thing, I just keep staring out getting off track. I, 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 keep, inter question? I keep interrupting. And <laughs> no, oh, it's not throwing curveballs at you. <laughs> no, you're not throwing curveballs. I just lose focus. Um, what was the question? Yeah, was it always the dueling pianos pitch oh, to you? Or was there another, was there another, uh, another if, confrontational scene between you and Daffy? If there was something else, I don't know about it because I didn't work on it and it was done in London. So the process of the story, I don't know the background on it. By the time I got to it, it was ready to record. So that's all I know. But the the pleasure, uh, the greatest memory of that was that I got to work with Mel Blanc together. Um, and uh, I think it was one of the last things he did. So I was in awe being able to do the scene you know, Robert Zemeckis was directing us. He said, this is what I want. And uh, Mel would do Daffy and I would do Donald. And uh, that was, uh, that was amazing. Does anybody understand what this duck is saying? This is the last time I work with someone with a speech impediment. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. There's, I don't know what it's called, but it's Mel Blanken. 
me recording. Uh, they did some behind the scenes footage and somehow it got onto YouTube. There's a lot of stuff like that. There's one of me and Clarence uh, talking together. It was a 50th birthday party at the studio where we were both doing Donald together. Well, thank you for that. Those are those are some of the great questions. You're thank welcome. You. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Well, Tony, like I, I, I have to say, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, we had no problem adjusting our recording session uh, for you, uh, <laughs> so that you could have your beauty sleep. And uh, <laughs> I guess you're a morning guy. Were you in the military, Dave? I, I am a morning guy. In fact, on my Facebook page, you can see the most beautiful uh, sunrise. The I did. I saw that this morning. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I, and I had been up for like an hour and a half already. Oh yeah. See, people so. in show like Rusi would never do anything before one or two in the afternoon. And it's the same with well, you know. Come, come to think of it, I always did recording sessions with most of you guys in the afternoons. Well, we sound better then because our sinuses have relaxed, and yeah. it's it's mostly that. Uh, you know, I want to sound as good as possible, but also people in show business are night, night owls. I, you know, I would hang out with Debbie Reynolds and she never called before three in the morning. If the phone rang at that hour, I knew it was not my mother. Right, right. Well, listen, it was great having you on our show. Thank you so much for, for uh, coming on as a guest. We really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to having you back at some point in the future. And I say this to all of my guests because when we, we have somebody on the show, we only scratch the surface, right, Al John? Absolutely. We only, we only scratch the surface and, and there's so many more stories. So we'll have you back. I know that. Thank you very much. It was a real pleasure. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks Dave. Tony. It's always Take fun care. to talk to you. Thanks again. Thanks. Skull Rock Podcast. Now for some real user power. Your weekly immersion into all things Disney. What a wonderful, wonderful time. I mean absolutely loving uh this interview and uh, thank you so much tony for joining us on the show what a great what a great interview wasn't that fantastic al john i mean it's just so great to hear that hear those stories of of tony and um clarence nash and jack Hanna. i mean i i just eat up that uh, that kind of stuff i love having these guests on and 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 hearing some of these stories once again, just the tip of the iceberg, and I can't wait to spend more time in talking to Tony and archive some of these great stories, you know, just the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. Mm. Well, I have to say, we have some more great guests coming up uh, later in February. Uh, next week's show, we've got animator Kathy Zielinski uh, awesome. talking about her career. Uh, then we're going to have uh, Disney legend and fantastic artist Floyd Norman. Uh, I mean, talk about a, 
uh, a, a legend. I, I know, mean, right? He, he's he he started working on Sleeping Beauty. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I met then, uh, I met I met him briefly at D twenty three when he was I I can't remember when he got inducted. He's uh, one of the nicest guys. He's just so nice. I mean, yeah. Oh, just so nice. Anyway, looking forward to Floyd. Absolutely. And then we're going to have uh, Dan Jupe, animator Dan Jupe, who's also done story work and directed and all kinds of stuff. And then at the end of the month, we've got effects master Ted Kiersey joining us. Ted's going to be in the house. I mean, honestly, we've got some shows that are coming up that are going to blow people's socks off. And I can't wait to get these guests on going to be amazing well once again everyone we would appreciate you if you're, this is your first time listening thank you so much i'm glad you made it through the show and don't forget to leave us those uh those uh reviews if you will on apple podcast google give us those likes those subscriptions those are super helpful and even if you want uh feel free to share it with your friends too and let them know that you are listening to skull rock podcast and uh follow us on all the social media we've got facebook twitter instagram and you can also visit the show archive as well, available on everyone's favorite podcast platforms. As I said, Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, TuneIn, um, and so many others as well. And you can also email us, uh, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com or Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Dave, any final words? Well, I have to say, uh, you know, it, it, it was a absolutely beautiful sunrise this morning, Al John. And you mentioned social media. People can see the photo I took on my Facebook page. Uh, I hope you uh, take a moment to see that and uh, uh, enjoy the view. Uh, other than that, I, I think uh, I want to wish everybody a fantastic week ahead. Um, you know, eventually we are going to get back to uh, some sort of sense of normalcy. Uh, here in California, they have reopened restaurants, salons, and the like uh, to some amount of uh, dining, which is fantastic. So we're happy about that. And uh, eventually uh, we'll all get vaccinated after all the uh, celebrities, politicians, and other uh, important people have been vaccinated first, of course. Uh, other than that, have a great week, everybody. Al John, have a, have a wonderful week, and I look forward to our next show. Absolutely. Enjoy. Take care, everyone, and be safe. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan. I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host the Disney List Podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com. I'm Al John Go, co host of The Disney List Podcast, as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks 
well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com. <laughs>